You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Attention, if you're an eastern whitetail hunter with dreams of hunting elk, antelope, or mule deer out west, but are overwhelmed with the knowledge gap, look no further than Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class features professionally produced courses taught by the world's leading outdoor experts and can be consumed on your phone, computer, or TV. Visit OutdoorClass.com and start the process of making your hunting dreams come true. Use discount code EMPIRE20 at checkout for 20% off. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show today, we've got some big news. Potentially the biggest news that we've had, not potentially, it is the biggest news that we've had since starting the Western Rookie Podcast, and I'm pretty excited about it. So I'm not going to do a whole lot of intro on this episode other than to say, get ready, because it's pretty sweet. I will mention, though, that this is the first Western Rookie episode that I have recorded from my new property here in Missouri. Super pumped about that, and... I'm looking forward to doing some awesome uh, habitat improvements and just figuring out exactly what all this property could turn into on the hunting front. So without going too far into anything else, we're going to jump into today's podcast. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. The 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. All right, guys, welcome to today's show and joining me on the show today and for every podcast moving forward is Brian Krebs. Brian, thanks for uh, hopping on, man. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so if you're sitting there wondering, like, dude, what are you talking about? Brian is the new co-host of the Western Rookie podcast, and he's a guy that I met, man, it's over a year and a half ago now that I think we started talking uh, you hopped on the podcast. You actually sponsored the Nomadic Outdoorsman podcast for a minute, and we've got to meet up a couple times now, and 
you just seem like a perfect fit. I feel like we're at the same spot in our Western hunting journeys, and uh, you've got definitely some more experience in the archery side of things, in the shed hunting side of things, and and so I think it's going to make really good dialogue moving forward between you and I as well as the guests that hop on the show. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. I mean, super glad that Sam took over your TikTok and it exploded, <laughs> and I found you. Uh, a couple, I don't know, 18 months ago and started chatting and it's been, you know, bromance ever since. Dude, you got me on my first ever shed while shed hunting. Well, almost dying. Yeah. While throwing up everywhere. <laughs> it was pretty yeah. incredible. Um, yeah, like, I'm good. Just go pick that shed up. Don't worry about me. <laughs> don't worry about me. I'll catch up to you. Um, why don't you share maybe more in depth than what we normally do and what you've done in the past on the, on the podcast and on the Nomadic Outdoorsman. Um, why don't you share a little more in depth about who you are, what you like to do in the outdoors. That way people kind of get a feel for who they're going to be listening to along with me over the next several years. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I mean, I grew up in Minnesota, you know, this, um, my family has always been a strong outdoors family. My dad hunts and fishes, my brother hunts and fishes and, and they're, big into like taking trips like growing up we'd always go out west pheasant hunting or we would go to canada fishing the orange army tradition was pretty strong in our family and so plenty i mean i was just exposed from day one yeah but it kind of stopped at that right going to canada fishing fishing around the lakes minnesota hunting at our own farms in minnesota and then you know as i was getting older and getting into college my brother was getting a lot more interested in archery elk he had done some some rifle hunts in the past when I was too young to come with, and then he, you know, got turned on to the whole archery, middle of the rut, bugling, communicating with the elk, and so they started that, and I had to actually skip the first trip, which really stuck. Oh, no. Yeah, I was a senior in college, and it was, you know, starting my senior year, senior design. I'll, I mean, I'm an electrical engineer, so these classes, you don't want to miss nine days in a row. It just sink <laughs> you for the rest of the year, and so I gave it up the first year. And then ever since I've been going every year with the group out West. And that's really just what expanded, you know, my mind and my thinking on just the opportunities that there are in, in this country in hunting, you know, that's, it, it's far wider than hunting whitetails <laughs> and your own property. I mean, just the places we've gone and the, the things we've done, is just incredible. So that's kind of my, how I got into hunting the West. And then from there, you know, everything just blossoms into shed hunting different States and, and not being afraid to just look at a map and, and say, let's just go here. Like we, I know there's going to be something like we're going to yeah. have an adventure no matter what. Dude, there's something about that. Like once you open a can of worms, it's like if you have too much to drink and you haven't taken a leak yet. And then as soon as you pee just one time, <laughs> you have to pee like the entire time. Oh, yeah. nonstop that's exactly what it is once you once you start exploring new hunting opportunities because people do they get stuck in the rut you know they go out in the spring for turkey they go out in the fall for deer and that's about it they might hop in a duck hunt here and there with their buddies or go shoot small game or a coyote but once you actually start to travel and you realize just how easy it is and how doable it is not only to do it but to do it year after year and really understand it and begin to learn Western hunting, there's no stopping. I'm, I'm to that point now where I'm just like, dude, I want to hunt every state. I want to hunt every way, like every yeah. species. You just point me in the right direction and I'm going to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, growing up, it felt like that because back then it was so hard, you know, and that 
you know, in the nineties when I was born, but like the eighties, nineties, the two thousands, when my dad was hunting, it was so hard to know what to do. Like going out West. I mean, some people knew guides and some people lived out there. So obviously they knew, but for like a flatlander, a Minnesotan to, to just say, Oh, we're going to go shoot an elk in Montana in the nineties before the internet, before all these services and, and all this information, like it's just too hard. Like he, so they didn't do it. And so like growing up, that's why, you know, dad didn't do as many of the elk hunts. And then eventually yeah. my brother started figuring it out and he would bring them on some guided rifle hunts and they had some, they had a blast. I mean, they shot a few elk. Um, but now it's just so easy. Like you said, and it's a shame because there's so many people when I tell them like, oh yeah, I'm an elk hunter or elk is my favorite. They're like, oh, I'd love to do that someday. And I'm like, yeah, you're thinking about it all wrong, man. I mean, and I see it because I, I do a lot of the planning and, and kind of the work on our farm. And for, for me, it's like I spend more on food plots on our own farm than I do on elk hunting. And people are thinking it has to be this once in a lifetime hunt that they have to save up their whole career for. Yet you're probably spending just as much putting gas in the fishing boat. You're probably spending just as much for the fertilizer and seed at the farm. And, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be a $10,000 guided experience. Oh, yeah. I think there's plenty of people who spend that much on their cell camera bill every year, you know, well, and maybe, you know, there's people who trump that. But I feel like I've talked to so many people who are in that same boat where it's like, oh, man, what my bucket list hunt? Oh, dude, elk, elk out west in the mountains. And I'm like, no, 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 not your, like, hunt that you're most excited about doing, but, like, num- number one, no matter what, like, anywhere, any weapon, any animal, like, what would it be? And they say elk, and don't get me wrong, I love elk hunting. I absolutely do. But they're viewing it as something that they hope to do eventually, maybe one day, maybe one season. And it's going to be the hunt that they talk about for the rest of their life. And I'm like, dude, you could go do that this year. Like you could legitimately go and do that this year. There's enough time to keep plan or to plan. There's enough time to save up. You can make it happen. Um, And I know that there, you know, with jobs and family and finances, not everybody's in the same boat, but really you can do it pretty affordably to where, had I known about it, if I if I was in college, I could have still made it happen. Maybe I I was a lot more open to skipping classes than you were, but uh. <laughs> well, I just arranged my schedule in college so I didn't have classes like Monday, Wednesday, Friday afternoons, and so I bow hunted that whole semester. Nice, that's sweet. Yeah, yeah. no, it is. I mean, and it's it's not that I want people to stop fishing or stop you know, putting money into their food plots because I never will. I'm just saying if you put it into perspective, it doesn't seem like it's that much of a stretch. I mean, for example, like there's a bio life down the road from us. I donate plasma and it pays 140 bucks a week. So literally in two months I could pay for my entire elk hunting trip. Now that obviously yeah. that's not an option for everyone, but I mean, if you're just putting a hundred dollars a month away, you could probably do a Western hunt. Maybe that's not elk, but you could still do something especially if you've already got the gear, which most outdoorsmen and women do, you know, they have a bow, they have a rifle, they have camo and boots and a backpack. You know, it's, it's pretty simple, especially if you're doing it yourself and just camping. There's, there's so many side hustles and I'm not, I'm not going to turn this into an entrepreneurial podcast because you've already got those covered, especially in the outdoor space. Um, but like there's so many side hustles that you could do that would pay $200 a month, you know, like make an extra, make an extra, even $10 a day 
three hundred bucks a month that will that will cover almost any western state elk trip yeah or i mean there's so many things you, can do. you don't even have to do something new like learn to cook and cook at home more if you're like one of those people yeah. that goes out every day for lunch or goes out and grabs you know energy drinks and breakfast at the gas station every day i mean if you're spending ten dollars a day that's two hundred dollars a month you know on the 20 work days I mean, that goes oh, yeah. a long way towards your elk hunt. And, and you're going to need to learn how to cook anyway when you bring that elk home because you're going to have <laughs> about 200 pounds of, of the world's best red meat at, in your freezer. So that's a win-win. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ways to do it. And so with this, with this podcast, you know, in bringing you on, I hope to gain more perspective from you, kind of how you've gone about it, the successes, the, the gear that you've used, the tactics and tips and tricks and all of that. Um, and then on top of that, you've got a second podcast. Um, I guess your first podcast, this is your second podcast. Uh, why don't you, why don't you tell the listeners about that and, uh, what you've been doing in that space? Yeah, it, it kind of hits on what we've been talking about. It's a podcast that is centered on outdoor entrepreneurship and, and the stories from other people that have, have gone through the, the ringer, as you would say started their own brands, chased their dreams, decided to, you know, take a chance, take a bet on themselves and and pull the trigger on whatever whatever it was. And we've talked to some amazing companies and brands and people in that space, some, you know, industry changing technology. We've seen, you know, people that just wanted to start documenting their stories and accidentally became full-time YouTubers. Um, it's It's wild. And the point is, you know, me growing up, I always said, you know, when dad asked me what I wanted to do, I'm like, I'm going to be a professional football player. And he's like, ah, don't think that's going to happen, but I've seen you play. <laughs> your dad's he, a realist. You know, What's your plan B? And I'm like, oh, well, if that doesn't work, but it will. But if that doesn't work, I'll be a professional hunter. And he's like, Ugh, you might be better off with the football <laughs> plan. But it's true. I mean, I grew up and I'd be like, I'd love to hunt and fish for a living. And I think a lot of people that are as interested and deep into hunting and fishing as you know you and I are have said the same thing obviously you yeah. have I mean you built your life so that you can be a full-time outdoorsman yeah. and so the point is I want people to kind of realize that it's possible people are out there are doing it they're doing it with likely far less than you have at your disposal they're probably doing it with less they probably started with less experience less knowledge than you have now and the whole point of the podcast is to share that share the knowledge, share the lessons learned, help people have that confidence to, to go out there and do it. If that's, yeah. you know, something they've been thinking about, something they've been dreaming about, you know, it, it, I held up way too long starting my business, Bull Elk Beard Oil, on some of those same topics we talk about all the time. What do I do about taxes? How do I set up a business? Do I need to be an LLC or can I be a DBA? And so those are the things I want to help, you know, tackle those hurdles for other people so they can just jump right into to doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's awesome to learn from people who are in or just out of the stage that you're in, in life yeah. and, or in whatever venture you're diving into. And, you know, people always used to tell me before I got married and then also before I had kids, like, you're never going to be ready. You're never going to be ready to have a wife and to like share everything and share your time and like dedicate yourself to that person. You're never going to be ready to have kids that are fully dependent on you. You're never going to be in the financial position. Like there's all these, you're never, you're never, you're never. So just do it. 
and you're going to figure it out and you're going to learn. And it's awesome to get the, the advice from other people who have gone through it, but also there's no better teacher than experience. Like you get yeah. out there and you're going to learn. And somebody who hunts in Utah, uh, in the desert for elk, they're going to hunt totally different than you are. If you're hunting, you know, 8,000, 9,000 feet up in Colorado, uh, for, for a late season rifle hunt. Yeah. But if you go out there the first year, you're going to learn a lot. Even if you don't pull the trigger or let an arrow fly, you're going to learn a lot. And then the next year you're going to feel that much more confident, that much more prepared and so on and so forth. So getting out there and actually trying it, putting boots on the ground, there's no better teacher than that. Yeah. You know, the Western rookie podcast and, you know, my own podcast, the two bucks podcast are really kind of the same at different things, but it's really about if this is something you want to do, we want to help you get started. Don't wait. Don't spend your life thinking about it. Spend your life doing it, whether that's starting yeah. your own business or going out West and shooting a bowl. Like you're never going to get closer by waiting. Yeah. No, that's that. I mean, hopefully if, if nothing else comes from this introductory podcast to you as the co-host, people take that away. Like get out there and do it now. You, you don't want to wait. Sam and I talked about that. Um, my wife, we, we had talked about it two, three years ago, maybe now. And it was just with life and with, um, our free time. And all of our friends were like, dude, you need to be saving up. You need to be doing this and that. And we're like, you know, we want to adventure. We really want to adventure and we don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to push for that. And so we started doing it because my view was how many people are like, dude, we're going to travel the world. Once we're retired, once the kids are all out of the house, maybe we have grandkids, we're going to travel the world. And I was like, why don't we do that now? Because we can definitely make it happen now. It might not be pretty. We might be scraping by, but we can make it happen now. And then we can worry about the other stuff later on. Or, you know, at the very least, we're going to just work a little bit later in life because we're spending a year traveling. I hear so many people who wait to do it. And then they're 60, 70. They don't have the energy to do it. They've got grandkids. They don't want to leave the grandkids. So they never end up pursuing whether it's travel or whatever other thing their dreams are. I've just seen too many people kind of waste an opportunity when they can for hopes that they can do it better later on. And I, yeah. I, I know that this isn't the message for everybody because there's people who are like, no, dude, I got to analyze it. I've got to have a plan. I want to know where I'm at each minute of the day. I want, you know, I want X, Y, and Z perfectly lined up. I wing things a lot more than I probably should. And so I'm not <laughs> saying it's going to work out for everybody, yeah. but that's kind of the life that we've lived. And it's been, it's been an adventure to say the least. Well, there's also some tactical advantages, especially when we talk about like hunting the West. If you got two people and one of them is the guy that says, I'm going to wait, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save my bonuses, save my overtime. And then I'm going to go on this epic, um, you know, drop camp or spike camp elk hunt with an outfitter. We're going to sleep in wall tents and do horses and the whole nine yards. And, you know, that's going to be my elk hunting experience. And then you have the other guy that's like you and I, you know, I'm going to just do it. I'm going to do it DIY. I'm going to keep the budget at the front of the conversation. And, and you know, it's not going to be guided. We're not going to be, you know, renting out lodges. We're not going to be hiring out anything, but we're going to do it every year. Yeah. And we're going to get better and we're going to learn things as we go. And you put those two people up to side by side. It's like, yeah, that guy might shoot a good bull. 
he might shoot a good bull. He might not too. He might wait yeah. his whole life and not shoot a bull, even though it's guided. Even though it's the you know maybe it's in northwestern Colorado. The you know this everyone's dream elk hunt. He might not shoot anything. Versus you know look at you and I. We've both done DIY. We've both got multiple bulls on the ground, and we're learning things every year that we can apply. And and sure enough, that day will come where maybe you and I do do some type of hunt like that. We're going to have that much more experience. We're going to know the how to do the mountaineering side of it. We're going to have all that yep. technical ability down, knowing thermals, how to hunt. You know, yeah, there's a guide there, but the more you bring to the table, the better the guide can serve you too. Yeah. And so there's some tactical advantages to just getting started. Just give it a try. You don't have to, you know, be successful, but you're going to get a lot closer to success just by doing it. Like you said, experience is the best way to learn. Oh, yeah. And I, I think... There's definitely people on both sides of that coin, like you said, that are going to just save up and they're going to they're going to go out there in hopes of shooting a 390 inch bull. And that's awesome. For yeah, me, I would give up I would give up a guaranteed 420 inch bull every 10 years for the ability to go and hunt every year for those 10 years. You know? Like yeah. Well, I, to be fair, that 420, that's a marriage. A 420 every 10 years, I don't know if anyone's ever done that. No, I don't think anyone's ever done that, but imagine, like, yeah. only getting to do that every 10 years. Like, you know you know how deer pression sets in after season, and you're just like, yeah. dang, man, like, bow season's over. Like, all seasons are over. I got to wait. You know, I can go shed hunting. I can go turkey hunting. I can start fishing, but, like, deer season's over. Imagine going into that knowing that you have nine years of absolutely nothing before you can go and do it again. That's, that's probably going to be the ongoing question of this podcast is, you know, what size bull would you trade for every 10 years for the opportunity at this size bull every year? Like, is it, would you trade a 350 in 10 years to shoot a 250, like to get the opportunity at like a raghorn every year or a satellite bull every year? Dude, I don't have to ask our guests that going on and kind of figure out where that line is for Americans. I think that's a really good, that's a really good question. That could be an icebreaker, like, or it could just be a closer, either one. Um, I think it'd be interesting to hear people's answers. For me, I don't think there's a size of any animal. I'm talking world record every 10 years. I don't think I would give up a guaranteed new world record every 10 years for the ability to hunt every year. And there's probably a lot of people who are like, no way, dude, no way. I just love getting out there. And whether or not there's success, I love getting out there and and doing it. And I would say the same thing with whitetail. Dude, you put the biggest free-range whitetail in front of me, and I would rather shoot 10 years' worth of other deer than that one and yeah i i've never actually thought about this before like fully thought about it i've always thought about it in the term in the in the avenue of like i'm not gonna stop hunting all the other species on my whitetail property just so that i can shoot whitetail like bigger whitetail i would rather be out there squirrel and rabbit and duck and coyote hunting and again there's a lot of people who are probably like dude all your credibility is gone right now but that's just me. I love to be out there. And so I couldn't go nine years without hunting, man. I just couldn't do it. Well, I wouldn't want to go nine years without hunting either. I would just be the most dedicated mule deer hunter nine years out of 10 and then shoot a world record elk. 
Yeah, I, I, I guess I could see that. Like, in for me, for some reason, I'm thinking, like, you're not really getting to go out and hunt. Yeah, that would suck. That would suck. World record's a big deal, but, yeah, not being able to hunt would be pretty rough. I mean, financially, you'd probably be set just off of two two world records 10 years apart, you know. Oh, one? one I mean, have you looked, Have you heard some of the financials of, of shooting yeah. a class game? Like yeah. The Milo Hansen buck was reported to earn like 600000 a year. Dude, that's outrageous, man. For I've, shows paying him yeah. to bring it. I was going to say, I've heard a couple uh, numbers on those shows where it's like, just to bring it for five days to a show, the amount yeah. of money that he's charging. But also, like, do people not realize? Uh, here's my thought. And if anybody's got a monster buck that they've been contacted about, here's a route you can go. I used to work for a company, and they made uh, antler replicas. They did oh, a yeah. lot more than just that, but they would make antler replicas. You could you could then get it mounted. You could buy a cape. You could get it mounted to look exactly like mm-hmm. the buck. I mean, 100% the exact same. They airbrush every detail in there. For me, I'm like, dude, if I shot the a world-class deer, I'd have the replica made. I'd hang it on the wall, and then, yeah, I'd just kind of pimp that thing out to anybody and everybody who wanted to use it for a decent amount of money. Yeah, yeah, right. Like at the replica, I'm assuming yeah. people are doing that. But maybe not. Maybe they just don't have their buck on the wall anymore, and it just travels all over the place. Well, there's there's very limited world class, and like once yeah. you get passed up, your value drops considerably, right? I mean, yep. nobody wants number two, and so it probably isn't happening that much. But I have heard a big thing now with the sheep hunters is that they're getting replicas made of their sheep to shoulder mount the sheep because they want to keep the original euro as a euro just because once they pick up that head and the weight with those sh- like a big horn and the horns and the skull, oh yeah they like that weight just it's like picking up a big shed like that thick antler there's yep. weight to it and it's just i'm sure it's magnified because it's a sheep it's like that is the kind of once in a lifetime hunt yeah and they want to be able to just pick that up anytime or pick it up and like give it to their guest or their buddy and be like dude feel this thing dude and I'm, so they're doing the replicas I'm always torn about that with shoulder mounts versus euros. I have euro mounted everything except for one white tail, and I've got a second white tail being shoulder mounted. Everything else has been euro because I do. I love to hold on to it, and I would imagine that's going to continue um, to go that route. I'll probably have you know ninety five percent euros. Shed hunting. I mean, you get to handle horn all the time. And yeah. so what what are you doing? I mean, are you doing euros or are you doing shoulder mounts? I'm kind of all over the place. So um, as you can kind of see in the top corner of my screen, I got a bunch of horn mounts. That used to be the thing back in the day because we were shooting bucks that were good bucks, but they weren't always shoulder mounters. Yeah. Um, the elk, that picture of that bull, the my North Dakota bull, I shoulder mounted that, and that's on a pedestal. But the cool thing about that bull is my taxidermist couldn't fit it out of his shop once he mounted the skull cap. And so he cut he cut both antlers and pegged them. So now I can pull both of those off like sheds. So it's kind of no best way. of both worlds. Yeah, best of both worlds with that one. And and I asked him specifically to do that with my second bull just because I liked it so much. Um, so that's probably the route I go. I'm I like taxidermy. I like shoulder mounts. So I think what I'm gonna do in the future moving forward is strive to take game that shoulder mount 
quality, especially whitetails at the home farm. And I haven't shot a whitetail at, at the home farm in, in three years because I haven't had the chance at something that was mature, right? Four years old would be great. Yeah. Um, I'm not snobby about it. I, I don't care what other people shoot, but um, that's just where I am. And then elk, you know, archery elk hunting, I'm not passing a raghorn on a DIY general tag in Montana yeah. with a bow. Like that thing's going to get an arrow. And so I think I'm going to move to more euros for anything I don't shoulder mount because I, like you said, I love the euros. You can do it at home. Like that's probably something we should cover in, in an upcoming podcast. Um, you know, get, get a taxidermist on or something, but just talk about like how easy it actually is to do your own euros. Yeah. It, I mean, taxidermy as a whole, man, it's so fascinating. I mean, I'm never going to shoulder mount a deer on my own because I don't want to end up in that like jacked up taxidermy calendar that, uh, <laughs> meat eater puts out but yeah effed up old taxidermy yeah i but euro mounts they're sweet i get to the point each year where i'm like dude as bad as i want to do this because i've done it several times there's times where i'm just like i've got it at the processor i used to also process my own meat i've switched away from that just with travel not having enough space like to haul a bunch of stuff. So I typically will shoot something and drop it off to get it processed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I started just getting to the processor and being like, Hey, could you actually give me a euro amount of this also? Um, but it really is pretty easily easy. And when you have several guys, you just sit around, everybody's got their own pot of water and you got your antlers in and you're just hanging out, uh, BS the whole time. Uh, it turns into a pretty fun night, but I oh, yeah. currently got one mile from where I'm sitting is my main hunting property. I actually, I shot a buck. It would be three, maybe four seasons ago. And the head of it is still in a freezer in the garage there. And I haven't done anything with it. And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know what that looks like, but you know, I'm sure the antlers are still fine. Every year I'm like, oh, I got to pull that out. I got to pull that out. I got to pull that out. And typically when I'm out there, I'm very busy doing something else. And so I don't think about it. And then I'm like, oh, I should have grabbed that while I was over there. I think it's past the point of smelling. So I think we're good on that front. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, once it thaws out, obviously it's going to smell. But, yeah, we should have, you know, Bridger Boiler on. They they have a DIY Euro kit you can actually buy. And and if you're – if you're like an avid hunter and you love euros, you're going to get your value out of it. I mean, as a shed oh, hunter, sure. I find a, I find a few deadheads every year. And so then if they're good size, I'll definitely euro them and put them like at the base of my display or my dad just built a shop that we're starting to collect things. So, um, he's got all of his stuff there. And then we've been finding deadheads. My, my nephew picked up a beautiful deadhead last year, Western North Dakota, 11 point 160 inch buck, just beautiful deadhead. Dang. Yeah. How many how many deadheads have you found on your home property of bucks that you you were hoping weren't weren't dead? Never, I've never found a that's a, good a buck deadhead uh, or a dead. I've never found a dead buck on our farm. Um, so I think the neighbor, my uncle, is the neighbor. I think I found one dead buck on his farm like eight years ago. Skull cap was cut, so maybe maybe they just shot a deer and. He just still kept it and gutted it and kept, you know, cut the head off or something. But yeah, yeah, no, we don't have, we don't, we've never really had issues with a lot of the big deer diseases that you hear about. That's so, good. Yeah. Very thankful for that. But no, most of the deadheads I find are from the West, South Dakota, North Dakota, find a couple elk hunting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've I haven't found any big bucks, any big deadheads. I mean, I I very rarely find sheds. Period, because I just haven't gotten super into it in the past and haven't had any luck. Haven't had much luck ever with it. But this year, I'm actually going to be coming up to the Dakotas. I think in March or April, and doing a shed hunt with a guy. And so we're going to have to talk about that because he just texted me a little while ago before we started recording. Oh, who is it? Zach Schrader. Oh, he's been a he's been a guest on the podcast before, okay. um, but yeah, Sounds familiar. But I don't know him. He got into mule deer hunting because he went shed hunting, yeah, uh, in the Dakotas with his buddy. And he's like, "Dude, I'm going to come out here with my bow." And so then we did a recap episode, actually on the Western Rookie, about uh, how that hunt went and like what he saw, what he learned, what he's going to change for next year. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that trip, though. Oh, yeah, dude. The, I don't know if you're going to South Dakota, North Dakota, but both of them out west. It's just like a magical place, the Badlands. It's just something about them. I mean, the entire west is just magical. But the Badlands, to me, you know, I used to live in North Dakota, so I used to hit the North Dakota Badlands quite a bit. That's yeah. where I shot that bull from. And so I spent lots of time out there scouting and sleeping under the stars. And I just love it out there. And it, I've seen a lot of really nice mule deer. Especially that year I had that elk tag. I was glassing so much. Hours and hours behind the spotter. I was finding a lot of really nice bucks. Yeah, dude. The Dakotas are sweet, man. I had very little experience with the Dakotas at all. And then I've driven through them. And I've also stayed at the Badlands a couple times. And I'm like, I'm hooked, man. Dude, the amount of game opportunities in the Dakotas is insane. You get the best of both worlds. Like the East and the West. Yeah, yeah, the Dakotas are a sleeper, I think, like a sleeper western state. To me, I think of the Dakotas as the Midwest, but I feel like most of our like East Coast population probably thinks the Midwest is like Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri. Yeah. And we're out here thinking like the Midwest is Kansas, Nebraska, the Dakotas. Oh, I feel like I feel like everything east of the east side of Colorado is the Midwest. You know, yeah. like the 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 West doesn't start till you hit the mountains. And then I start talking to people and I hear more and more stories coming out of Kansas, even Oklahoma, the Dakotas, and I'm like, shoot, dude, Nebraska, like yeah. there are some serious Western hunting style opportunities in a lot of those states. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. The Midwest is the state that's west of your state, and then yeah. the West is anything past that. Yeah, yeah, basically. What uh what do you have going on this year? Uh any any new hunts, any big hunts? Uh what are you thinking? Well, our group is in kind of a tough spot in two ways. So, you know, we start I don't want to be mean, but we pick up stray cats, right? Yeah. Oh, hey, I have a college roommate that's always wanted to elk hunt and we're down a guy, so yeah, bring him and then, you know, next year he wants to come back and they've all been wonderful people. But the problem is our group just slowly grows and slowly grows and yeah. then, you know, I've got this buddy at work we've always talked about doing an elk hunt with. He wants to come with. You know, I got a cousin, you know, and then something happens where the group gets split up. So then they go to Colorado and the cousin, you know, brings his camper and does all this work. So now he's like, man, he's done a lot of work for the group in past years. So how do you tell that guy? No. And and so now we're at like nine guys, which is a disaster for all the Western states almost because 
party sizes range from like five to six usually. Yeah. And so it's hard to get drawn. And sometimes you even have to look at like how many non-resident tags are there in this unit. And could we even get drawn as a party of six? Yeah. And so that's one issue that we're trying to figure out. And it's hard to hunt eight, nine guys in one camp because the, you, there's just not a lot of space, especially our, like we do mostly archery. And so you're looking for like black timber, north sides, tables, like benches. You start to like pick a unit apart with eight, nine guys. After like day four, you're like, well, where do we hunt now? Yeah. So it's that group size gets a little big. And we've kind of been playing this point game. We've been, we've been playing musical points now for, for a couple of years. And, and it's, we're out of options. We're out of chairs. And so yeah. we're going to go to Colorado. We're going to do over the counter archery in Colorado this year. Nice. And, take an off year we're going to build points in all the states this year and then go otc elk archery elk in colorado dude that's awesome yeah there's i mean there's a lot of opportunity for over-the-counter in colorado um and that's what i tell people you know as much as i hate to crowd that state even more it it's the best state in my mind if you're just wanting to go especially if it's last minute if you're like dude i've got to i want to do a hunt like i don't I forgot to put in for the draw. Like, dude, you can go and pick up an over-the-counter tag. And there's, I, I would feel a little bit worse about it, except there's like half of the state, especially for rifle season, that's all over-the-counter. Yeah, for your second, third rifles yeah. in Colorado, most of them are over-the-counter. There's some, especially the northwest, the northwest corner, that one is not over the counter. That's the the trophy units there. Yep. And um there's yeah, but there is lots of opportunity in Colorado for elk. And there's a lot of elk in Colorado. I mean, people go every year and kill elk. You you gotta investigate research, right? Yep. Um but yeah, so that's the main trip. Um my fiance well, my wife, that's new oh, since we yeah. probably talked last time. We got married about a month ago and it's still I'm used to saying fiance because we've we were engaged for like two years. Um, but my wife is finishing her pharmacy residency this year. And so she's going to have some more time available this fall. So we got a busy year, right? Buying houses, getting married, saving. But we're really trying to find a way to do an antelope hunt out west. She nice. loves the thought of doing an antelope hunt. Um, she's never hunted the west. So that's a good, aside from western shed hunting. So it's a good, you know, I think antelope is a beautiful hunt to get to get into western, uh, western hunting. You know, dabble. Yeah, dabble with an antelope hunt. I think it's a great way to start. No one's gonna get beat up in the backcountry antelope hunting. No, no one's gonna get an animal down and can't get it out by yourself. Um, you get out there, you see the game, you have a great time. I think antelope hunting is a great choice. It's it's more type one fun, yeah, than type two fun. Elk hunting is all type two fun, and that's if the hunt goes well. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. Are you guys gonna be going archery or rifle? Is she that is would she, be well, we haven't talked about it. I just don't have a strong desire to archery antelope hunt. Yeah. You if you want to be successful, you're sitting a ground blind over water and you have high success rates or high chance rates, opportunity rates. But who wants to sit in a ground blind in the west in a hundred degree heat dude, and just not look at a it. pond? Yeah, yeah no I know some some guys are throwing down doing spot and stock antelope, but that's that's probably like antelope hunting 301 and we're at an antelope hunting 101 course level so um we'll do rifle for sure it'll be a rifle hunt nice do do you have any spot pegged down that you're wanting to go yet we've done 
a lot of antelope hunting in the family in Wyoming, and I have a lot of coworkers that have done it, so I have no issue um, figuring it out. We have, I think I have five or six points for antelope in Wyoming, and Abby has two, two or three. So combined, we should be sitting pretty good to get an, a good opportunity unit. We're not going to be in a, a trophy antelope unit, but um, I'm not picky when it comes to antelope. Like I said, it's a fun hunt. And, like, the difference between a big antelope and a giant antelope is, like, two inches in, in antler length. You know, there's other things. but Yeah. Dude, I'm so not- clueless with antelope, man. I'm like, I see any antelope with with horns, and I'm like, dude, that's a big antelope. And Double the ears. Zero. Double the ears is the quickest judge of an antelope. If its horns are twice as tall as its ears, you're looking at a pretty good antelope. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'd be fine with anything. I, I have yet to antelope hunt. But, yeah, Wyoming is the state that I've looked at because you can get, I think, a doe tag over the counter is like 49 bucks. Yeah, there's some rules. Wyoming has a lot of, like, type 1, type 2, all the way to 9. And so you really got to know what you're looking at because a lot, like, some of those tags, and I don't want to misinform anyone, but some yeah. of them are, like, doe only on private land. Yep. And so you got to be really careful you don't like, oh, hey, antelope doe tag, and you buy these, and then you go out, and you're like, oh, we can only hunt private land. I don't happen to own any private land in <laughs> Wyoming. Um, so you got to be careful. But, yeah, there is like, some good opportunity. We would, If we're going to go, we'd probably try to get a doe tag too just because it's fun. The antelope are delicious. I think they're delicious. you got to take care of them. you got to get them cold quick. But if you do that, they're just phenomenal. Dude, I have heard antelope is probably the number one game animal that I have heard mixed reviews on. And it's like, oh, dude, they're terrible. It's shoe leather. And then yeah. I've heard the guys that are like, dude, it's my absolute favorite. But the one thing that I've heard from everybody is, yes, you have to get them cold quick. Yeah, get them cold quick. Get the hide off. It's usually warm antelope hunting. Um, even rifles, like October. And October in the flatland, in the you know the front country, could be 60 degrees still 70 degrees so you gotta you gotta be aware of that get them cold as fast as you can um but the antelopes i've shot or been a part of you know i shot one in north dakota and i put those stakes on the trigger i have that little pellet grill that you saw yeah. when we shed hunted that, Dude, that thing's so truck. handy man oh i made a pizza on it shed hunting last weekend five below outside and i cooked a tombstone pizza on that thing and had it in my truck it was the best five below degree lunch i've ever had dude um, if you want just a five star shed hunting experience hit brian up because he knows how to do it right <laughs> yeah food experience ambiance a story to tell we have the highs and the lows there's a hundred percent story arc you know yep. getting sick and then battling back finding the sheds yeah dude and you smell like your beard smells good all the time. So yeah. there's that also. Yeah, got a little pine scent going with the <laughs> raghorn. Yeah. So, no, but, yeah, that was pretty cool. So I put those antelope steaks right on the Traeger, and, you know, it was not cooked to the perfect. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't sat out and at room temp. It wasn't any, like, dry rubbed and aged for two days or anything, marinades. It was just straight out of the, straight out of the antelope onto the grill, little S&P delicious man i didn't even use a fork i just chowed that thing down dude so yeah oh, animals are great i'm so learn. hungry now that's part of the western rookie is you know teach people like how to cook these animals too you gotta you gotta know what you're dealing with you can't cook everything like it's a store-bought grain-fed 
steak. Like you, you just got to yeah. know what you're dealing with and cook it up appropriately. Dude, almost all of the venison that I grew up eating was like cut into medallions and yeah. like cooked. I don't know what the next level past well is without <laughs> being burnt. Yeah. But like, dude, we used to cut like the darkest brown meat up that were like tiny little medallions and we dip them in ketchup as kids. Like that's that's how we ate venison for years as as kids. And now I'm like, dude, my eyes are open to so many different cooking opportunities. Oh yeah. Yeah. One of the things I like lately, and I've been shooting a lot more does at the farm because we're trying to get doe control. Under, yeah. Um, or does under control. And so this last year I think I shot three does. And so I've been, you know, cutting these back straps into like eight inch strips. And then I'll butterfly them, and I've stuffed them a couple times with, like, peppers and gouda cheese and then tied it up with butcher's twine. Oh, dude. And throw that on the Traeger. Oh, man. That's a – because, yeah, most people chop their back, sta- their back straps up into steaks yep. and just grill them. Well, I kind of got just bored of it because I was getting so many. Oh, yeah. Dude, the the wild game cuisine, man, it, it like, I love seeing people get into it just for that. Yeah, that that are like, dude, I just want good, clean meat, and I want to cook it awesome ways. And for me, it you, you mentioned peppers and cheese, right? I feel like you stuff anything with peppers and cheese, and it's just gonna be solid. Like if you're ever like, dude, I don't know how to cook this peppers yeah. and cheese, man. Like it's gonna work out. Some of my peppers, favorites, cheese dude, or bacon. Oh, dude, like the Dove jalapeno poppers wrapped yeah. in bacon. Yeah, you just. There's certain ingredients that you're going to figure out pretty quick. Like, you can't mess this up unless you, like, drop it into the dirt and then, like, stomp on it. Uh, (laughs) Other than that, like, it's going to work out. Um, But, yeah, there's just a lot of really unique cooking opportunities, and we definitely should dive into that more because I have not done a whole lot of episodes like that. I'm like, ah, the meat eater guy's like, dude, buy the cookbook. You're going to be set. But I think it would be pretty cool to start asking people, yeah. About some of the some of their favorite recipes. Yeah. You know, I love Meat Eater and everything they do, and I have their cookbook, or their original. But one thing that I found with the Meat Eater cookbook is some of their recipes are just too intense for me. Yeah. Um, it's like I got to go to the store and buy all these things I really don't think I'm going to use for a different recipe, and it takes time. It's like what is, like, the 30-minute three-ingredient version of this? Yeah. And that's the kind of chef I am. Let, let, let's narrow down the ingredients a little bit. Let's keep it simple and and go fast. You know, sometimes I like to get exquisite, right, and go yeah. all out. But day in, day out, when I'm just cooking some wild game for dinner tonight, like I don't want to have to prep it starting on Sunday for Wednesday. <laughs> no, I totally agree with that. There's, in fact, a recipe. My, my buddy sent it over to me. He tweaked it a little bit from the Meat Eater cookbook. And yeah. it's it's ringneck duck pastalaya, and uh, he he sent it over because we had it down in Texas, and I was like, this is phenomenal. He goes, just a heads up, this is like a five hour processing time. He's like, unless you have a, um, gosh, what is that called? I, I just had it in my mind. What's the what's the like chamber that you cook things in super fast? Oh, uh, can cooker. Yeah, yeah, like a can cooker. He's like, like, dude. Yeah, pressure cooker, yeah. Yeah, he's like, unless you have one of those, like it's going to take a long, long time to cook this. Oh, yeah. 
and I'm just like, dude, I don't have that much time. <laughs> I'm not I'm not cooking this. Like I was planning on making it one Thursday, and I was like, dude, the guys are gonna be here in like two hours. I'm gonna I'm gonna text yeah. him, and I was like, dude, hey, how do you cook this? And I had a bunch of ducks that we had just killed, and I was like, hey, how do you cook this? And so he sent it over. He's like, hey, here's the lead time on this, and I'm like. Never mind. So I have yet to cook it. That was over. That was probably a month and a half ago. And yeah, I scratch still that. We're it. doing bacon wrapped duck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Jalapeno, yeah. cream cheese stuffed bacon wrapped duck. Yeah. Uh, and it's a win, and nobody's going to complain that we didn't have ringneck pastalaya. So yeah, that's exciting. So what are your guys' plans for the fall? I assume Colorado is a a staple in your in your fall. Yeah, so um, Colorado is going to be a big one. Hopefully, hopefully I can do a uh, a combo mule deer and elk hunt again this year. It seems like every other year I can draw a mule deer tag. I'm like, dude, I just burn the I burn the two points or whatever it takes me to get yeah. the tag um, for a chance at a mule deer while I'm elk hunting. Because the, I mean, the the unit that I'm in, it's so rich with game. Like I shoot, I'll shoot an elk. I'll see a ton of mule deer. If I look down far enough in the plains, like we'll see a lot of antelope. And one day I hope to have like all three tags. I don't even know if that's possible to have all three at once. Uh, And then just like in a nine day season, go try to shoot all three. Um, But that's a big one. You know, I'm putting in for a lot of different places. Um, I want to, I want to, explore texas a lot this year um okay texas has really like intrigued me lately and the different opportunities that there are there but also like just putting in for points this year in a lot of different states because that's something that i haven't done very well in the past Uh, i've always been like dude i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it and then i get like stuck on certain places that i'm going and i just i had failed most years in the past to put in multiple places. Yeah. But that's one thing that I'm definitely going to change this year as well as um, get my wife in on a lot of those preference points and, and getting points built up for her because she's slowly getting into hunting. It's definitely not something that is going to turn into what it is for me, but she's becoming more intrigued. And I'm like, man, if we could go out there together, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. I like the way you said I'm, I'm getting more interested in Texas. The, the way you said it made me feel like you just found out Texas is a thing. Like, yeah, that's, have you heard of Texas? Have you? Heard like, it's amazing of- down there. There's a game everywhere. It's wild, dude. I've I've been to Texas multiple times. I just haven't hunted it a lot. Like, yeah, for years my only experience hunting Texas was a high fence ranch that my buddy's grandpa owned, and he's like, "Oh, dude, come out here." And the funnest thing that we did there was small game hunt, like the whitetail. They were pets. I mean, legitimate, like he would feed them out of his hand in the morning. Yeah. Not all of them because it was a big enough ranch. But yeah. I was just like, dude, not really intriguing to me. And then I went down this year and we went for a waterfowl and sandhill crane hunt. And first of all, that alone was worth the trip. But then we were staying at this public campground and there were giant bucks. Like, I, I'm really? not saying giant isn't like 200 inch, but like, 150, 160 inch bucks. I saw multiple bucks like that chasing does through the campground on public land. And I'm like, wow, holy cow. Like these things aren't scared. These aren't scared of anybody. Like they are running in between campsites. There were turkey, javelina. We saw so many different animals. 
And I'm like, man, I need to start exploring more of Texas and public land opportunities because everyone thinks, oh, it's all high fence. It's all big ranches. There's a lot of them, but there is a lot of public land and a lot of cool hunting opportunities down there. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, not Texas is 98% private, 2% public. And a lot of the 2% is parks, but it's still a big enough state where even if you're talking 1% of Texas, that's still like some pretty good chunks of public. And the best part is it's, you know, those that game probably doesn't know the difference between private and public no. because there's so much private. Um, but so I, yeah, no, Texas would be great. I, I'm in the, I want to do hog. I've never shot a hog. I want to do it from like the culinary aspect. I want to, sh- I want to shoot a bunch and keep them. Like, I don't want to let them lay. Like I want to, I know the big ones don't taste great. So maybe just shoot one for fun, but I want to go shoot a bunch of tasty looking ones and then bring yeah. them home and just fill a freezer full of hogs and start smoking pork butts every weekend and, Dude, people say the big ones aren't good. That's a total myth, man. It's all in well, the preparation. big, big ones. Yeah, I mean, if you get into like a 500-pound boar, it's probably, yeah. you're definitely going to notice. And you can still notice a difference, but none of them are inedible. Like, even yeah. those big pigs, they don't get that big. There's there's very few pigs that are 500 pounds that are all muscle and like just tough. Yeah. The amount of fat that there is on a 500-pound pig is enough to make it as tender as you could possibly want. Like, just keep yeah. cooking it in its own fat, and you'll you'll be pleased with how it turns out. But now that you're part of the uh, Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network, as the co-host of the Western yeah. Rookie, we are going to Oklahoma. A bunch of us are going to hunt pigs in Oklahoma, so you might have to... Uh, get looped into that email thread and come down and shoot some pigs with us. When is that going down? I think it's in March. Oh, damn. That's not too far away. No, that's next month. I keep thinking of March as like three months away, and we're already in February. So, Yeah, that'd be super um, interesting. We'll I'll, look look at, I'll look at the dates, and then I'll kick them over to you, and I, yeah. I'm like 99% sure everyone will be on board with having you join us if you're available. So, yeah. Dude, Why not you have scratch some... that off your bucket list? Hey, is that <laughs> number one, dude. man? Number one Hog? on your bucket list? No, Just shooting not. a pig. <laughs> yeah, no, not one, not number one. There's a long. It's maybe number one on most feasible. The most yeah. feasible bucket list is hogs are probably number one because you can find the right dude and he'll beg you to come shoot them. But yeah. no, my number one. Oof, that's a tough one. I'm torn. Last time I had me on, it was moose. You know, big moose with a bow. Yep. I'm starting to get the sheep bug and and really my accountant's probably begging me not to, but yeah, I just want that man, I don't know. Some pe- people are polarized on sheep, right? You either absolutely yeah. love them or don't understand it at all. But I've been seeing I have a friend, Sam Soholt, a photographer, wonderful wildlife photographer, and he's got some pictures that he's taken over his travels of some just close up high quality bighorns and just that that skull, man, is just captivating. Dude. The amount of bone that they have up there. It's probably not bone. Don't don't come at me in the comments. But um, <laughs> those horns, man, it just, the, those animals are, I think they're, you know, a different kind of majestic. I think elk are the majestic North American animal. Maybe yeah. buffalo, bison, but those sheep, man, and what it takes to bring one home. I think that's maybe half, the, half of it right there is knowing what I would have to put into it to, to get it. Are they, so. do you, do you know a whole lot about them? Are they like afraid of people or are they kind of like mountain goats? Because the limited experience I've had with mountain goats is that they couldn't care less that you're there. Like when we hunted them, 
these animals were so, they were just like, oh, there's a person, cool. Like, didn't run. They just knew they were safe being that high of elevation in that kind yeah. of terrain. Well, I certainly don't think they enjoy people. I think you can get some that are in different park systems that are used to people. Yeah. But one of the things that an elk do the same thing, you just don't see it, is it's, you know, common. You blow an opportunity at a sheep, and he just doesn't run away. He runs over the next mountain. Dang. Well, I'm never going to see that thing again. I have an acquaintance. I'd say he's a friend. I think he's a friend. He might not think I'm a friend, but very successful person. And he has done the sheep grand slam with his bow. He did the desert bighorn, the rocky bighorn, the stone and the doll. And his favorite was the stone. But this dude is legit. He's athletic. He's probably the best archer I've ever met. He shot. Um, he shot his stone and he, I can't remember the exact days, but it, it took him 40 some days to get his first shot opportunity at a stone, three trips, three guided British Columbia trips for this guy. And he shot it when he shot it, it was almost straight down off a cliff and his guide was holding his bino harness and a rock at the same time just to give him a little bit more comfort to lean over the edge Dude, that there's far. no animal man there's no animal that's worth that for me like i love to hunt but dude i hate heights i'm not leaning out over a cliff for anything i don't know how much he was leaning over it um he's a very intelligent person i don't think he would yeah, put yeah. his life in danger i think he was trying it was a long so the, it was a long shot very okay. long i think it was like 107 yards but it was straight down. And so what he, I think what he's trying to do is keep his angle proper. And he just wanted oh, that little bit of comfort to, with his guide. And so, yeah, I pegged it in its bed. Didn't even stand up. Jeez, and so, man. But for a guy like that to need three guided backpack hunts going all out, just an absolute killer, like spot and stock mule deer, like that's, not, like that's what he says. That's what I use as a practice for this elk. Um he shot some great bulls down south. I mean, this guy's just legit, but for him to go 40-some days, I think it's 46 days to get an opportunity and a 100-yard opportunity at that, I don't think it's easy. I don't oh think you just walk up on gosh, those suckers. man. No, no, yeah. definitely not. I think yeah. I think bighorn would be really sweet. Like, well, I the definitely... stone is like a bighorn with, like, a really cool color, and I yeah. think if you get some big stones, they they're a little bit less mass, but they have more curl. Yep, yeah, they'll yeah. start to kick out more on their curl. Yeah. Um, I think I think sheep hunting as a whole is very intriguing, and I like hunts that take me to crazy places, like yeah. just crazy terrains and environments and ecosystems, but. I'm not at the point that I have the bug like a lot of sheep guys do, where it's just yeah. like, dude, it's sheep or nothing. Like that that's what I'm on this earth for is to hunt sheep. I don't know that I'll get to that point ever, but I absolutely want to do it at some point. Yeah, I've heard stories of people getting on, on other podcasts where they worked out deals and the one that spikes me is I think her name is Jordan Budd from some rivers outfitting. Um but she's she was on, working with her. She's part she's, of media right? Yeah, she's the co-host of the Gear Podcast. Yeah, Giannis and Jordan. Um, her, she has a, she had or has, I don't know, um, a, a guiding business, and I think it's Nebraska. She's doing mule deer whitetail. Yep. 
but she was she was talking on the media podcast about how she started working with this rifle company and this rifle company is like hey the point that we've developed this rifle for is a lightweight mountain gun so we want to show people using it in its correct context and what's like what's the most elite mountain hunt well sheep so would you like be down to go on a sheep hunt to show off this rifle for us <laughs> she's like okay <laughs> yeah i'll go like so she got oh sent on a, a sheep hunt from this rifle company to document it and like kind of showcase that like it was basically a long format ad for the rifle like it's a lightweight ideal for a mountain hunt yeah okay that'd so the, that'd be the best way to work your way into a sheep hunt so what you're saying is now as a co-host of a western hunting podcast uh you're gonna try to get one of those deal hookups for the the two hosts of the show to go and shoot a sheep yeah if anyone Sweet. okay I, perfect let's let, let but let's not even be narrow-minded like if you want to showcase your new rifle on any type of game dan and i we are your team we will go perfect from texas hogs to british columbia sheep you know yeah scale everywhere <laughs> in between anything yeah. and everything i like you let that. us know what you designed the rifle for and we will do the hunt for you <laughs> dude well i i'm telling you right now i'm already excited about this having you on and uh, just the insight, the banter, it's all going to be a lot of fun. And I think that we also should probably get on a hunt soon together. We need to figure something out. I'm not going to invite myself to your Montana hunt because it sounds like it's getting a little too crowded, but maybe we <laughs> branch out to a new state together. Yeah. There's a lot of, just, there's so many opportunities out there. I mean, that's, I want to do them all and I have to really put some <laughs> restraint on myself because like, Every time I talk about an idea with Abby, she thinks it's a plan. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I got like, it's like, well, you wanted to do this and that and this and that. I'm like, no, these are just all ideas I want to do. Yeah. I'm like, well, isn't that, you know, you're already doing the elk. Like, you know, it's, it's, there's so much out there. There's so much opportunity in the West and that, yeah, I'd love it. We'll get something on the books, man. Well, let's wrap this one up and, uh, and then, yeah, we'll be in the talks about maybe some hog and, and maybe a new Western hunt. Yeah, and get some cool guests to come on, share their stories. Dude, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun, man. I've been talking to people about being a co host on the Nomadic Outdoorsman since I started it. So like a couple of years now. And I have yet to lock anyone down. And so now that this is happening, I'm pretty pumped. Oh yeah. Dude, it's so much more fun with two people. Sweet man. Well, thanks for hopping on and uh we'll chat again here in a week. Sounds good, buddy. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. Man, I hope you guys are as excited about the new news as I am. I'm super pumped to have Brian as my co-host, and we're going to see how it all goes. You know, if I'm out and he has to take over for an episode, I know that he can handle it. And it's awesome to have two people at about the same level. Like, as far as their Western hunting experience, he comes from it from a different viewpoint than I do. And he, he's more of the, he's not a weekend warrior, but you know, like I travel all the time and I do this. And so I'm excited to have his perspective as somebody who may do one or two or just a handful of trips a year out of his home state. So I think that's going to be very relatable to you guys as the listeners. And I'm just, I couldn't be any more excited about it. So Hopefully you guys are out there shed hunting. I know he's collected nine sheds so far for whitetails. If you guys are in any of the western states, 
I'm pretty jealous because you're probably going after muleys and elk. I haven't gone out to look for sheds at all, and I probably should start to think about that. But until next time, guys, get out there and chase a new adventure. <laughs>